Let's turn tonight in God's word. We've sung from Psalm 122 to reinforce the message. I want to revert back there. So let's read together Psalm 122 this evening. It's only nine verses. Very easy to find. Just open your Bible, find the place called Psalms. And we'll read there, Psalm 122. you're turning to the place let me just remind you Psalm 122 is one of those pilgrim songs that was sung by the children of Israel when they went up to Jerusalem for those uh, very important feasts that they were to observe throughout the year and this was one of the the pilgrim songs or the song of degrees Psalm 122 let's hear the word of the Lord I was glad when they said unto me let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions sake I will now say peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God I will seek thy good. Amen. We know the Lord will stand with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Amen. Now my text tonight is taken from Psalm 122 and the verse uh, 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. And my theme tonight is why Jerusalem matters. Or we could subtitle it a prayer for the peace of Jerusalem. On Wednesday the 6th of December 2017, the American President, Donald Trump, made a decision to recognize Jerusalem as the capital city of the state of Israel. This decision, of course, caused uproar in the Arab world. It was widely condemned around the world, Saudi Arabia. They said it was highly provocative and totally irresponsible. The terrorist group Hamas called for a free day of rage, which is still raging. Violence erupted. Lives were lost. Even the United Nations got in on the act, and they condemned the move without specifically mentioning uh, Donald Trump. Now, all of this information, of course, has combined to put news about Jerusalem and the state of Israel in the spotlight of world affairs. And of course, it's highly remarkable as to the timing of this decision. The 6th of December 2017 actually marked the 100th anniversary of the liberation of Jerusalem by General Allenby. During December 19, 
1817, the Turks surrendered to General Allenby forces without one shot being fired. The general, of course, was keen to preserve the nature and character of the Holy City and very wisely, deliberately, I believe providentially led of the Lord, he got the Allied planes to fly over Jerusalem in formation. So they flew backwards and they flew forwards. The Turks were terrified. They thought they were going to be blown to bits and therefore they fled in surrender. Now, I want you to think of that. And I want you to turn in your Bible to Isaiah and I want you to look with me at the verse, um, chapter 31, verse 5. Isaiah 31 and the verse 5. It says there, Isaiah 31 and 5, as birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending also he will deliver it, and passing over he will preserve it. As birds flying. In Military terms, oftentimes commanders of various forces refer to aeroplanes as birds in the air. The birds in the air. And it's interesting that as birds flying, if it refers to aeroplanes, was fulfilled 100 years ago. The British forces saved people's lives. They saved the very important strategic places of Jerusalem. And the Lord, I believe, gave that vision and prophecy 2,700 years ago to Isaiah the prophet. And we could say it had a prophetic and literal fulfillment as far as what took place on the 6th of December 2017. We could really say, well, we serve a great God. Did you know that Jerusalem was mentioned 767 times in the Bible? The first reference is in Joshua 10 verse 1. There's eight references in the book of Joshua. Eight, of course, is the number of new beginning. A new beginning for Israel as they come in to take possession of the promised land. And, of course, there you've got the references to Jerusalem. The Bible ends with a reference to the holy city, New Jerusalem, Revelation 21 and 10. You are aware that in 1948 the state of Israel was born. Israel was officially recognized in 1948 as a sovereign, independent state. The issue about Jerusalem in those days was unresolved. Effectively, it was divided in two between east and west. There was always a major dispute about the east of the city of Jerusalem. It had a population of about 330,000 Arabs. They live there to this day. And so also does 200,000 Jews. In those days, from 1948 to 1967, it was under Jordanian control. And then in 1967, after the Six-Day War, the State of Israel took control also of East Jerusalem. 
And then in 1980, 13 years later, the State of Israel announced that it was recognizing Jerusalem, the whole of the city, as its eternal capital and the very center of the state of Israel. Now, of course, that declaration wasn't recognized internationally. Many governments placed their embassies not in Jerusalem but in Tel Aviv. And this was despite the fact that the um, House of Parliament was in Jerusalem, despite the fact that the Supreme Courthouse sat in Jerusalem, that the official residence of the Prime Minister was in Jerusalem, Benjamin Netanyahu, and the House of the President of Israel was also in the uh, city of Jerusalem. Many headquarters of government bodies and agencies are also in Jerusalem. So when President Trump made his decision on the 6th of December 2017, he was making and marking history. He was marking the 100th anniversary of its liberation. And he was also putting into action a decision by the United States Congress and the United States Senate in 1995. The Senate and the Congress had decided in 1995 to relocate their, Jeris- their embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. It was called the Jerusalem Embassy Act, and that was in the days of Bill Clinton, George Bush, and Barack Obama. Now, of course, I don't know the true motivation of why Donald Trump did what he did. I have no doubt, of course, that God uses men and movements to fulfill his will and to perform his good pleasure. I believe, of course, that he was being led providentially by the Lord. But of course we turn not to the words of men or the, to the decisions of men when it comes to Jerusalem. We, we turn to our Bible. We want to know what the scripture says about this city. And I've already said 767 times the word Jerusalem is mentioned in the Bible. And we're going to ask tonight, why does Jerusalem matter? Why does this Jerusalem promises, Donald Trump called it, really matter. And I want us to think of three things this evening. I want you to think firstly of the important placing of Jerusalem. If you look at Psalm 122, for example, Jerusalem is mentioned in verse 2. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. It's mentioned in verse 3. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. And also in verse 6, we're exhorted, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now the name Jerusalem is made up of two words in the Hebrew. Jeru, which means foundation. And Salem, well you can think automatically of Shalom, it means peace. Put the two together, Jerusalem, it means the foundation of peace or, or the city of peace. So when you think of Jerusalem and its identity, when you think of its, uh, the, the city historically, it has a name that's great. It, it has a lovely, sweet name. Now, now we know that 
literally in reality the city knew anything but peace it, it, it was often in its history uh, brought about contrary to that name but as far as the etymology of the word is concerned it means the city of peace or the foundation of peace or the, or the citadel of peace and of course one day it will live up to its name because in that day the prince of peace will literally sit on the throne and reign for a thousand years. It's first mentioned in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 14 verse 18. A man by the name of Melchizedek. And we're told who he was. And where he was from. He was king of Salem. Which means he was king of peace. And where was Salem located? It was located on a mountain called Moriah. It's interesting in Genesis 22 when uh, Abraham was told to offer up Isaac. Remember he was told there, if you turn to Genesis chapter 22 and you'll get a little insight uh, into um, something that the Lord said to Abraham. Um, Genesis 22 and uh, look with me there. It says... Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now, now that's important. Upon one of the mountains that I will tell thee of. And when we compare scripture with scripture, which is the right thing to do, and we look up the various references that name Jerusalem, we also can discover something else about Moriah because over there in um, Second Chronicles and um, it's in the uh, chapter 3 and in the verse 1. Second Chronicles chapter 3 and in the verse 1. And th th this is what the Lord said. And again, this is interesting. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And he began to build in the second day of the second month in the fourth year of his reign. Now, now does not tie it all together? The house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah where the Lord appeared unto David his father. You get the picture. Here's this man called Melchizedek. There's no beginning or no ending. And he's king of peace. He's the supreme governor of a place in Mount Moriah. And it's called Salem. And that's where God told Abraham to take Isaac. To Mount Moriah and upon one of the mountain tops there, which I'll show you. I want you there to, to put Isaac to death. And then we read later in the scriptures here in Second Chronicles 3 and 1 that, that Solomon built the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah. In Genesis 12, if we go back a little bit, Abraham was told to leave the earth of the Chaldees, that's modern day Iraq, that's near the Euphrates River, young people. He was to leave his father's house, he was to leave his friends, and he was to go into a land that I will show you, a, a new land, a land of promise, 
a land flowing with milk and honey. And over there in Genesis chapter 12 and verse uh, 7, we read, And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there he built it, he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. And of course, that is important. This land was promised to Abraham and to his seed. And over there, and I should have kept the reference open, in Genesis 15 and in the um, uh, verse 8 we're told and um, and he said unto him I am the Lord that brought thee out of the earth the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it and he said Lord God whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it and of course then the Lord uh, entered into um, uh, a covenant promise with Abraham and if I could skip the verses uh, from verse 9 right down to verse 17. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying unto thy seed have I given this land. Now listen to this. From the river of Egypt, that's the Nile, unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites and the Kazanites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaims and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. Remember Ornan's floor was in the house of the Jebusites. God showed him the land. From the river of Egypt, the Nile, to the Euphrates. That was going to be the southern border. Right up to the borders of Lebanon in the north. It's interesting that in the Israeli parliament, in the Knesset, there's an inscription there. And the inscription is this. From the Nile. To the Euphrates. That refers back to that covenant promise that God made with Abraham in the book of Genesis. From Genesis 12 and 7 to Genesis 15 and 8 to Genesis 15 and 18. Whenever we visited the land of Israel twice, um, Rosie and I, we were given a map by the guide in the first day. And you know what the map said as you looked at it? God's land. A God-given land. You see, it refers back to that ancient covenant promise with God which the Jews to this day still believe stands. And of course, it's a wonderful experience to holiday in the land of Israel. You can holiday in Spain. You can holiday in the United States of America. You can holiday in the Caribbean. But, you know, when you go to places like the Sea of Galilee, when you stand on the shore of the Sea of Galilee where Christ fed the 5,000, when you visit Gethsemane, when you stand in the garden, to, when you go to Golgotha's Hill, when you stand in the Mount of Olivet, when you visit Mount Zion and, and Mount Moriah and you walk along the walls and you enter through the gates, you, you, you're, you're entering into history and the Bible becomes so much real and you learn so much. It is indeed a wonderful experience, an experience I would encourage you to enjoy, certainly before your, your, your life is, is taken from you. Turn over there in your Bible to something else tonight. Turn over to Second Chronicles chapter 6. Second Chronicles chapter 6. Second Chronicles chapter 6. 
Let me read from verse 6. This is God speaking. But I have chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there and have chosen David to be over my people Israel. But I have chosen Jerusalem that my name might be there. And if we link that up with the book of um, 1 Kings and 1 Kings chapter 11 and in the uh, verse 13 I believe it is how be it I will not rend away all the kingdom but will give one tribe to thy son for David my servant's sake and for Jerusalem's sake which I have chosen now young people if you get a map tonight I want you to look at the map. I want you to learn something, and it's this, that Israel is the very center of the world. Right at the edge of the Great Sea, you'll see the land of Israel. And if you think of a, a dartboard with a bullseye in the middle, Israel represents the bullseye. And there's seven million people there. And all the lands round about it are all Arab lands, and there's 300 million Arabs. And of course, sadly, many of the Arabs, like the terrorist group Hamas, they have a desire to drive Israel into oblivion, to drive them into the Mediterranean Sea. And I want us to remember the important placing of Jerusalem tonight. Because when you think of its name, the city of peace, when you think of the fact that God has chosen this place, that's what the Bible tells us, and I've, I've given us some references. And you think tonight that if there had been no Jerusalem, then there may have been no Christ. And if there was no Christ, there was no gospel. Because when we think of Jerusalem, the, the Son of God in the flesh walked out streets, Talked to its ancient people. Suffered and bled and died there outside the city walls. Rose again from the very garden tomb that some of us had visited. And I can tell you is going to return. As we're going to see in a moment to that very place. If you turn over there in your Bibles to Psalm 137. I want you to think of the Jews in exile. They're there in Babylon. Remember by the rivers of Babylon. There we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. And then they said in verse 5, If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, Psalm 137, verse 5, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy, remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the days of Jerusalem who said, raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. You see, here's the Jews in ancient Babylon. They're asked to sing a song, and they, they say, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And they're thinking about Jerusalem, and they're saying there very, very clearly something tremendous, something that ought to be encouraging. If I forget the old Jerusalem, let my right hand forget our cunning. And that, of course, refers to the playing of musical instruments, whether it was the harp or some other stringed instrument. And what they're saying is, let my right hand 
Uh, let, let, me, let me lose that ability. Let, let me lose that, that joy and that pleasure if I forget Jerusalem. That's how important it was. Uh, and listen, if I do not remember the let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. That, that, that's a reference not only to singing, but, but a, a reference to um, uh, speaking. You see, they had a love for Jerusalem. It was chosen by God. It is chosen by God. It has been. It always will be chosen by God. It's the very centre of the universe. It's the place where Christ lived. Christ died. Christ rose again. Christ is coming back to. And the people of God ought to have a bond to it. And, and they ought to have a place of importance in their hearts and minds. It ought to be loved by the people of God. Think of Londoners who love London. New Yorkers that love New York. Well, the people of God all over the world should, should love Jerusalem. Why? Because it's the city of peace. It's the city of the great king. God forbid that we should forget the important placing of Jerusalem. Notice secondly and quickly, the intercessory plea for Jerusalem. If we go back to our text, it says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now, this is a lovely text. Prayer, of course, is so important. There's a wide range of things that we ought to pray for in the church. And of course, prayer is a vital and necessary part of our daily lives. And I want to say to you tonight, and I say it respectfully, remember that it's a sin not to pray. Samuel said, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. And if we don't pray for ourselves, pray for our families, pray for one another, pray for the well-being of the church and the work of God, then well, I have to tell you, we're sinning against the Lord. And we're, we're, we're sinning against our own soul. You see, so often people say to me, and rightly so, um, but we don't know what to pray for, Mr. McLaughlin. Let me encourage you, when I was in Mount Marion Tuesday night, there was a dear lady there who'd just been saved about 10 years. She, she had difficulty uh, stringing sentences together. Uh, and uh, she was quite an elderly lady. Uh, and uh, she... Uh, Give thanks to the Lord. And this was her prayer. Lord, I want you to thank you for saving me. I want to thank you for the preacher. And she mentioned the Reverend Harton and how he'd led her to the Lord. And, and she was just full of giving thanks. And I was thinking, Lord, that's a wonderful prayer. Because the Bible says in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And if you don't know what to pray for, either at home or in the church prayer meeting, well, you could thank the Lord for your life. Thank the Lord for your food. Thank the Lord for your family. Thank the Lord for your blessings. Thank the Lord for the blessing of salvation. But here's something else we could pray for. Because it's in the Bible. We're, we're told, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. See, I find that in talking to many of God's people, that their, their minds are, are far from Jerusalem and the Jewish people. And their minds are maybe more in tune to what's on the television, like Strictly Come Dancing, or, or I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, or, or something like that. But our minds ought to be on the places of interest to the Lord. The places where the Lord Jesus walked. The places that are associated with major events in his life. Sometimes we feel that prayer is useless. Prayer is not going to change anything. There's no point. I want to tell you that's, that's a lie from the devil. 
We have been invited to pray. We've been exhorted to pray. And those invitations and those exhortations, we would say, would be unnecessary if prayer didn't make a difference. But, but prayer does make a difference. The Lord Jesus said, Whatsoever ye ask the Father in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. We pray in the name of Christ. We pray on the ground of the merits of the shed blood, having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We pray because we believe that God is. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. An intercessory plea for Jerusalem. Let me tell you something. In 1949, 1952, a revival broke out in Outer Hebrides. Outer Hebrides and off the coast of Scotland. Two old ladies, two sisters, well into their 80s, they, they spent nights and afternoons and various other important times in prayer. They lived in a humble home. And they had one thought dominant in their mind. Lord, send the power of revival blessing. Through those old ladies, there was an invitation sent to Duncan Campbell from the Faith Mission to come into the Isle of Lewis in particular and hold some meetings. Those old ladies, when they prayed, they prayed on the basis of a promise. And those who were at the prayer meeting on Wednesday night will know that promise as Isaiah 44 in verse um, 3. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. What happened was that after a time of prayer, the Duncan Campbell and an elder went to a place where they were having a dance in the Isle of Lewis. Duncan Campbell asked if he could offer prayer uh, for the, the revelers that were there. And during that prayer, the revelers became repentant. And revival broke out. And there was hundreds gloriously saved. Two old ladies in their 80s, having a prayer meeting in their home, crying to God, for revival. Did you know that those two old ladies were great aunts of Donald Trump's? Yes, they were. They're related to the President of the United States of America. There's a Scottish connection there. And of course, Donald Trump may be viewed as the most powerful man on the planet. And of course, I want to say tonight, don't believe all that you read in the books or all that you hear in the media because a lot of it can be lies and smears and innuendos they did the very same to the late Dr. Paisley but what I'm saying tonight is whether he realises it or not that he had great aunts in his ancestry who were instrumental in praying for revival you and I can pray for things we can give thanks we can ask God for the peace of Jerusalem the city rarely has seen peace in its history. The word peace has to do with safety, certainty and enjoyment. And we would want that for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. But one day there's going to be peace. And until that day comes, we have an obligation, we have a duty. We're commanded by God, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Peace be within thy walls. Peace be within thy palaces. The people and princes to be at peace one with another and with their enemies. Did you notice that there's a promise attached to this prayer? 
they shall prosper that love thee. Remember God said to Abraham, I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. And every nation that has risen up against Israel, the, the members of the loony left, the, 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 the uh, liberal establishment, but because they have risen up against Israel and risen up against Jerusalem, they've really risen up against the Lord. <coughs> this reference to prosperity, I believe, is not only financial prosperity and economic prosperity, if that may be an aspect, but I believe more so it's a spiritual prosperity. Prosperity. They shall prosper that love thee. Prosper in their soul. <coughs> Turn over there to Matthew's Gospel. Look with me at chapter 23 and verse 37. Matthew 23 and 37. Here's in the days of the Lord Jesus. Think of these words, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gather her children under her wings? And ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. When the Lord Jesus came in the days of his flesh, he wept for Jerusalem. He loved it. He, he longed to save its people. He says, how often would I gather thee as a hen gather her chickens under her wings? But you would not. He wanted to save them. He wanted them to trust in him. He wanted them to, to turn to him with all their heart. But you would not. Because they're stubborn pride because of their rebellion. What about you tonight? Are you here as a lost soul? Are you saved? Are you trusting in Christ? Are you sheltering underneath the wing of the Lord? Maybe you're a backslider and you need to repent and return. The Lord wants to do you good. He wants to help you. He wants you to prosper in your soul. But of course, if you in rebellion say no, then that's a different matter. I want you to think lastly of an instructive prophecy about Jerusalem. If you go back to that portion that I've read there in Matthew chapter 23, I want you to look at verse 39 in particular. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now keep that thought in mind and turn to Luke, Luke 21. Luke chapter 21. This is a further reference to Jerusalem. It says, and when you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Come to verse 24. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Come down to verse 27. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. You see, Here's the Lord Jesus. And he says as he looked over Jerusalem and wept and longed for it and loved to save its people. And he said you would not. He said it's going to be like this 
until ye say in your hearts, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. One day they'll say this. And then one day they'll see him. And that day they see him will be a day that Jerusalem will also be on the threat of destruction. And the utter extinction of its people. In other words, if you think of the word till and the word until, there's a future for Jerusalem. One day the blindness in part that covers the eyes of the Israelitish people to this day will be taken away. And in a day, a nation will be born. They'll see the Son of Man. One day he'll return to this earth, to the very centre of the earth, not to London, not to New York, but to Jerusalem. He'd come to the land of Israel. He'd go to the exact city, the city of Jerusalem, and the very spot has been named as the Mount of Olivet. Look up Zechariah 14 and verse 1. Look up Zechariah 14 and verse 4. And there's a parallel passage that I've read in Luke 21, 24. In other words, this is future. This is going to happen. Jesus Christ is coming back. We don't know when. But we know where. And we need to be ready to meet him. I asked you tonight. Are you ready to meet the coming king? Because he's coming back to the Mount of Olivet. On the very foothills of Jerusalem. There's an instructive prophecy here. And it's important that we recognize it. I've asked myself why Jerusalem matters. It matters because God has chosen it. It matters because that's the place associated with the Lord Jesus. That's the very place where God has encouraged us to pray for the peace thereof. And that's the very place where Jesus Christ is returning to let me ask you, when he comes, will you meet him clothed in the garments of salvation? <clears throat> will your prayer be even so come, Lord Jesus? Or will you meet him still in the rags of sin? And in that day he'll not be your saviour, he'll be your judge for all eternity. We encourage you. We don't know when Christ is coming. But we'd encourage you to put your faith and your trust in him for salvation.